Welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Welcome back to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. I missed you. Here you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Today, as you know, is Fender Bender Friday, where I'm going to talk today about two cases involving some folks who were drinking and driving and shouldn't have because the consequences were, in one case, deadly. We have a situation where in Florida, a group of boys went to a restaurant and these boys were not of age. Florida, the drinking age at the time of this incident was 21. And these young men, a group of about four of them, were all 20 years old. So they went in to have a good time and they probably should have been having potato chips and sodas but at least one of them gave the bartender a fake ID. Wow, that's the first time I've ever heard of anybody doing that. Huh, where do you get a fake ID from? Are there people that give you fake ID? All right, so I'm playing with you. Don't use fake IDs, folks, if you're not of age. Just hold off. You can drink later. All right, so the group of boys gives the bartender, one of them, a fake ID. And the bartender gives them a pitcher of beer. Now, what do you think? Did the bartender ask all of these kids for their IDs? Probably not. In fact, at trial, he said no. He sold it to the the one that he thought was 21. And he has got no responsibility, according to him, for what the kid does with the beer after that. Yeah, right. The bartender's out to lunch, not paying attention. A group of four guys is sitting there, and you think that only one of them is going to drink the beer? What, uh, what, what planet are you on? All right, well, I'm sure that because I've already told you what happened in my introduction, that this is a drinking and driving case, you quickly figured out that when the guys finished up with their partying at this particular uh, establishment of spirits and good times, they go out and they get into a truck. And the one who had the fake ID is the driver. He gets in the truck and a gentleman by the name of Osmond hops in the bed of the truck in the back. And the other two guys are in the front, in the cab. Well, the driver, a guy by the name of Raub, Raub being intoxicated, his level of intoxication uh, was a 0.041. Now, you may know that in most states, the legal intoxication is 0.08. So he would not have been declared driving while intoxicated, but because he was a minor, he's not allowed to have any alcohol, and he's certainly not allowed to have any alcohol when he's behind the wheel. So 
the Raub driver gets into an automobile accident. The truck flips over, and unfortunately, Osman, who is his passenger, the one who is getting very, very injured as a result of this, is thrown out of the bed of the truck and suffers some pretty significant injuries. He suffers a neck injury, which resulted in what the medical groups called an incomplete quadriplegia. Horrible. He was 20 at the time. At the time of trial, he was 24 years old. He had limited strength and movement in his arms and absolutely no movement whatsoever or feeling in his legs. He had to use a wheelchair to get around and he required assistance with most of the things he had to do to, to, to get by in life. We call these the activities of daily living. By the time we got to trial four years later, he had medical expenses of almost $450,000. The attorneys who took on his case did a very good job because they were able to get an economist who calculated that the expenses that he would relatively clearly need for the rest of his life, they call these the future life care costs, were estimated at $15 million. This was a nice kid, this kid Osman, who got hurt. He wanted to pursue a military career, but now um, he's studying audio engineering. Not the worst thing in the world, but, you know, for someone who wanted to be in the military, that's night and day. So Osman sued the owner of the bar under what was called the Dram Shop Act, Dram, D-R-A-M. Many states have dram shop laws, which basically say that if you are the owner of a restaurant or a bar or other place that serves alcohol, you could be liable civilly, not criminally, but civilly, meaning money damages is something that you could be responsible for. If someone you serve alcohol to later goes out and gets in a car and causes injury to someone else. In this case, uh, Florida is where this occurred. They have a Dram Shop Act, which provided for civil responsibility, civil liability, based on what was called the willful and unlawful provision of alcohol to minors under the age of 21. During the course of the trial, Osman and his team, the lawyers, offered evidence based on witness testimony by other underage patrons that in the two years prior to the crash, the restaurant had served minors on about 70 occasions. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Not very smart. Well, of course, you can imagine the defendant in the case, the restaurant, the bar owners, the bartender. They said no, they hadn't served the driver and that, um, that Osman, the, uh, the one who was injured, is the one who used the fake ID. Well, they weren't able to find any fake ID, the police on Osmond, so that was shot to holy, you know what the next word is. That was proven to be untrue. The court also concluded uh, that it was very foreseeable that placing a pitcher of beer in front of a group of underage kids would result in the beer being shared by all of them. We are going to talk just briefly, I am going to talk just briefly about another case because... 
I want to keep you hanging. I love doing that. Uh, as the uh, expression goes, um, the rest of the story will come later. But I want to talk about another case that happened in Indiana. This was a little bit more severe, unfortunately. And when I come back from the break, I'm going to tell you what happens on both of these cases. But to be instructive, we have a case where a gentleman by the name of Amsden, 63 years old at the time of his death, was a service vehicle uh, attendant. So he would drive around on the highways and roadways of Indiana where he lived And if he see a stranded vehicle, he would be the one who would pull over and help uh, the stranded motorist. And that's exactly what happened on this particular afternoon. Mr. Amsden had pulled over to help someone who had a flat tire. And while he is changing the tire on the shoulder of the roadway, the vehicle that was disabled had pulled completely off of the road, Mr. Amsden was struck by a truck Uh, That was driven by a guy by the name of Mr. Cleary. Mr. Cleary was the owner of a company called uh, something like Maintenance Dynamics out there in Indiana somewhere. Well, it seems that Mr. Cleary, prior to this particular occasion, again, late afternoon, had just come from a bar, and before that, he had come from a restaurant. At the trial... We were, we, the attorneys were for the Cleary family, excuse me, for the Amsden family. They were able to show that when Mr. Cleary was at the restaurant, he had six double vodkas. When he got to the bar, he had several glasses of wine. When he left the bar, which took him to his work truck owned by his company. He got in the work truck, and within three minutes or so, he drove off the road and hit Mr. Amsden and killed him almost instantly. Mr. Amsden, age 63 at the time, was survived by his wife and his two daughters, who, as I'm sure you can imagine, were just absolutely crazy, losing their minds over the fact that they're husband and father was no longer with them because of a drunk driver. So the attorneys for the Amson family sued, and they sued, of course, Mr. Cleary, who was convicted in a criminal matter of two felonies and three misdemeanors and put in jail for quite a period of time. But they sued him personally, and they sued the company that he worked for, that he owned. Now here... Here is a wrinkle in this case that, you know, you might not know the answer to, but I'm going to tell you after break. What happens was that Mr. Cleary and his defense lawyers, they claim that the business that Mr. Cleary owned had nothing to do with this incident, that the company should not be responsible in any way. The evidence in court, however, showed that when he was at the restaurant, he was with the business's attorney of all things, and they were discussing the business of Mr. Cleary's business, the the uh, maintenance dynamics company. And then it was the two of them together that then went to the restaurant. So uh, the two of them were drinking merrily along, talking about business. 
This is a very sad case, of course, for the Amsden family. We're going to come back and talk about what happened on both of these. Miss Amsden and her two daughters again filing the suit against Cleary and his company and the bar and the restaurant. The theory against the bar and the restaurant was again the dram shop rule, where in this state, you are not allowed to serve somebody that you know to be intoxicated. Uh, what is that expression? Pouring fuel on the fire. So what do you think? What was the verdicts in these cases? How much money, if any, did the survivor of the Amsden case, the, the wife and the daughters, how much money, if any, did they win? And what about, um, what about Mr. Osman, the gentleman who was thrown out of the, the back of the truck? In that case, they claim that he was responsible for his own injuries getting into the back of the truck, which was not the smartest thing to do, of course, but uh, that he should be responsible because if he had been in the truck, he wouldn't have been hurt anywhere nearly as badly. So we're going to come back and we're going to tell you what happened in these cases. Okay, then. So... I have uh, the break coming up for you in just a moment, but I wanted to share this because this particular uh, unbelievable story is six times worse than you can possibly ever imagine. And I use that number six because it is an exact calculation here. I have a story about these six guys who go in to rob a store and the owner tells them that yeah, we don't have a lot of cash right now. Come back at 6.30 when uh, when I'll have a lot of cash. So the six of them, well, okay, I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Come back at 6.30. Okay, what do you say, Fred? Yeah, all right, Joe. Okay, Bill, come back at 6.30. Well, they come back at 5.30, and the owner looks at him and shakes his head and says, guys, I told you 6.30 I'll be here with a lot of cash right when I close up. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll come back. Not enough cash now? Yeah, sure. Okay, we'll come back. And they do. And of course, the police are there. It, beyond comprehension. If that was just one stupid guy, okay, but six of them? Well, I guess you are like the company you keep. See you after the break. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. 
So go to the legalmerrygoround.com. And now back to the show. So we're back. I missed you. Hey, you, the guy there with the Snickers bar. Can you send it over? That really looks good. Okay, wait a minute. Wrong discussion. Dram shop. Very serious stuff. Two very serious cases. We have a situation, as I described in the first half here. Mr. Osmond, a 20-year-old boy who, a young man, got in the back of a pickup truck with some level of intoxication, and his buddies were also intoxicated, having been at a bar that served all of them a pitcher of beer, ostensibly, at least according to the the bartender, one of them showed one of them showed a fake ID. The other case, Mr. Amsden was pretty much instantly killed when a drunk driver hit him as he was helping out a stranded motorist changing a flat tire. Very, very sad case. Mr. Amsden was killed by a guy who owned a company who had been drinking basically all afternoon with the company's lawyer. I think if I was the attorney for the Amsdens, I would have sued the lawyer in that case just for general purposes. I mean, talk about stupidity. What kind of what kind of lawyer lets his client go out and drive while he's drunk? How many of these TV spots have we seen in advertisements that say things like, friends don't let friends drive drunk? I think it should be a stronger discussion about lawyers shouldn't let their clients drive drunk. Well, lawyer didn't get sued. That's too bad. Mr. Osman sued the driver of the vehicle, his buddy. He sued the restaurant under the Dram Shop Act there in Florida. And a jury came back and awarded Mr. Osmond, again, almost $450,000 in medical bills at the point four years later in trial, and $15 million estimated by an economist to provide funding for him for the rest of his life because of his position now as a almost complete quadriplegic. The jury came back and awarded $42 million to Mr. Osman. Now, here's the interesting part of this. Florida is what is called a comparative negligence jurisdiction. That means the jury decided what percentage of fault, of responsibility, each of the parties had. And they decided that the driver, Mr. Osman's buddy, was 40% responsible for driving negligently and having the truck flip and causing the automobile collision. They decided that the restaurant was 20% responsible, 20% for serving minors alcohol. Even though testimony was that over the last two years, they had served minors 70 times. I certainly would have hit the, the restaurant for a much higher percentage than 20%, but that's what a jury decided. 
So the 40% to the driver and 20% to the restaurant is 60. That leaves 40%. And the jury found that Mr. Osmond was 40% responsible for his own injuries by getting into the back of the pickup truck, which admittedly isn't real bright. So out of the $42 million, Mr. Osmond was awarded and ultimately theoretically recovered $8 million. Now, I say theoretically because the reporting of this case was such that I can't say for certainty that he actually collected that money. Insurance proceeds were available for all of this. However, uh, the indication from the trial summary that I was able to, to find and to relate to you doesn't talk about appeal. I certainly hope that he got the money and that there was no appeal, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any result if this case was concluded with that verdict or if it was appealed. Moving to Indiana, the Amsden family, the wife of the decedent, Mr. Amsden, and Mr. Amsden's two surviving daughters, they too were successful in their effort in litigation civilly to collect compensation for the loss of their father and husband. The jury awarded a total of $25 million. And there again, a division of responsibility was made by the jury. The jury decided that Mr. Cleary, the drunk driver, was 40% responsible. They decided that the bar where Mr. Cleary had apparently lunch with his idiot lawyer, and where he had consumed six double vodkas, gee, do you think the waiter or the bartender or somebody would have recognized that, hey, maybe we shouldn't be giving this much alcohol to this guy? Well, they did. I guess the price of a single double vodka uh, is fine, but by the time you're serving the second and the third and the fourth, what does a double vodka cost? so they made an extra $100 but served this guy and he ends up killing somebody. Well, they assessed, they being the jury, they assessed the bar as being 30% responsible. So then Cleary and his idiot lawyer get into a bar and at the bar they have several glasses of wine. The jury decided the bar was 20% responsible. At the very end, $25 million to the family of Mr. Uh, Mr. Amston. There's no amount of money, none, that could ever replace a loving husband and a loving father. And there's no amount of money that could ever replace a young man's life who was 20, 20 years old when he became a near quadriplegic, looking to serve our country to go into the military and required round-the-clock assistance and could only get around by a wheelchair. The dram shop laws in the United States, for the most part, are very good laws. They're not all the same in every state, so if something like this ever happens to you or your loved ones, your family, your friends, where there is someone who had been drinking and was being served that alcohol by an idiot at a bar or a restaurant that should have recognized that either they were underage and shouldn't have been served at all, or they shouldn't have continued to serve them if they were of age. 
because they were visibly, noticeably looped, then it's reasonable to punish the bar, the restaurant, the owner. You may feel differently. If you do, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're just wrong. I want to talk about for a moment the the laws as they relate to drunk driving in general. I said in the first half of the show here today that pretty much across the nation, a 0.08 blood alcohol level is considered to be driving while intoxicated or driving under the influence. For those of you who don't know, 0.08 means that 8% of an individual's blood is fused or mixed with alcohol. I practiced law in Maryland and Virginia. The Maryland lawyers, for as long as I can remember, have been trying to get legislation passed similar to the laws that exist in Virginia with respect to punitive damages. In Virginia, if a drunk driver's blood alcohol level is 0.15, almost double the legal intoxication level, then punitive damages are available. Punitive damages are compensation in a manner of speaking. It's money delivered to the victim. It's not compensation. I use the wrong word. It's money delivered to, to punish the wrongdoer, to punish him. That's punitive damages. Maryland doesn't have such a law, and that's too bad. But in this particular case, neither of the claims involved punitive damages which is unfortunate. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. My bad. I should have, but you don't need to know. For the examples and the descriptions that I'm providing here, whether Florida and Indiana have punitive damages laws that allow for extra money to be delivered to the victim. If you are in a state that has that and you are the victim of a drunk driver and you become injured, you are entitled to recover extra money, punitive damages. What the individuals in the cases I talked about here on this show recovered were compensatory damages to compensate. And they included things like medical bills, loss of income, loss of wages, loss of the support for the wife and the the daughters for the case of Mr. Amsden in Indiana, future medical costs, like the $15 million estimated by The Economist for, uh, for Mr. Osman in Florida. Money is never enough. Nobody ever goes out into public and gets in the car and says, hey, I hope somebody hits me. Gee, that would be nice because maybe I can get some money out of it. I'm sure the Amstons would rather not have the money and have dad and the husband back, and I'm sure, of course, that Mr. Osmond would rather be serving our country in the military and have use of his arms and his legs. I've handled many cases in Virginia and in Maryland involving drunk drivers. In Virginia, when there's a drunk driver, the discussion that the insurance companies always want to talk about is, well, your client didn't get hurt that badly. They only had a little sprained neck and a little pain in their lower back, whiplash, and they only went to a physical therapist or a chiropractor for a couple of weeks, so they couldn't have been that badly hurt. We shouldn't have to pay that money. Well, malarkey. 
they have to pay that money, but they also have to pay punitive damages. And I can't think of a time when I didn't get the maximum amount allowed in the uh, situation because anytime you take a case like this into a courtroom and there is alcohol involved, goodness gracious, there's probably how many organizations across the United States that, you know, their, their whole mantra, their whole existence is about don't drink and drive, mothers against drunk driving, basketball players against drunk, drunk driving, librarians against drunk driving. All right, I'm making all those up, but we know that these organizations exist, and for the most part, their message is, is an excellent one. So my thought for you, my friends, if you have a need to drink, and there's nothing wrong with that, once in a while, actually, I think probably two or three times a year, I might actually have a glass of wine, but I don't do that knowing that I'm going to get in a car later on. I don't want to stand on a soapbox and make it sound like I'm this perfect guy. I certainly have my faults here and there and now and again. Ask my wife and she'll tell you maybe a little bit more than that. But I don't drink and drive and neither should you. If you do go out, you can be responsible. You can act with a degree of intelligence knowing that you're going to go out and have alcohol. So you make arrangements to have somebody else drive. Prom time, right, for high school kids the schools and any other number of organizations always provide taxi cab services and they pay for these in advance to take the kids from where the prom is located back to their homes. These are good things. Alcohol is a major problem among many in our society. The issue isn't, oops, I didn't realize. No, the issue is that when you went out, you were conscious at the point where you were not intoxicated before your first drink. You knew then that you had to find a way home. You knew that you drove your car, and yet you voluntarily and intelligently decided to have a drink. And you continued to do that, knowing that you may not have a way home except for your own car. Wrong decision. We've seen this type of defense over and over again, and we blow it away. Because drinking and driving is not, oops, I didn't realize, or oops, I didn't realize I had too much. It's a conscious decision to get behind the wheel and drive if you have been drinking. Best wishes to all of you. Continue to listen to the show. Please give us the reviews. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends that this is a show where you can learn about real-life situations Please continue to act responsibly. Please get in touch with us if you have questions about the law. Anywhere in the country, I can be a resource and refer you to local attorneys. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.